Hi guys, welcome to our Sabbath Fellowship here at Kingdom Context. I'm Sean. This is my lovely life, my lovely life and wife, <laughs> Lindsay. Hey guys, Shabbat Shalom. And uh, yeah, I, that's why I need a producer. <laughs> this is why I need a producer. I got too much going on. And uh, we just want to thank you for joining us here. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, if you're observing the Sabbath. If you're not, I'd encourage you to look into it. It is a part of our discipleship to Christ, is to obey the commandments of his Father, which is what he taught, which is what he exemplified and obeyed. And uh, the Sabbath is actually a sign that you're in covenant with the Father. Um, so it's it's an easy commandment to keep. Right. You literally don't have yeah. to do anything. Like you don't, you don't have to work. Uh, so we just try to enjoy this day and rest. Um, I s try to sleep extra if I can. Depends on the, the situation. Um, we don't do any work for profit. We don't make anyone else work for us for profit. So we um, we just try to take a day to relax from our, our profit gathering, if you will, in this life. And then uh, focus on the Father. And this is why we, we do the Sabbath Fellowship with uh, with you guys. So we, we appreciate everyone showing up. We we like hanging out with the family. Mm -hmm. I think it's, we think it's great. And um, so... Uh, did we have any announcements? I can't remember. No, not I'm not kind of just sleepy the, today, to be honest. Just the typical. Um, so our Sabbath live stream is different from the other shows that Sean does on the channel. We try to make it a little more formal in the sense of we have a little bit of a scripture reading and teaching um, for the first half of the show. And so for that half, we just request that people would keep the chit chat to a minimum in the chat. I mean, we know that people are going to greet each other. They're going to respond to some things that they're hearing that they agree with and they enjoy and say hallelujah and things like that. We're not discouraging any of that, but <clears throat> excuse me, getting into whole full-blown conversations and just not paying attention to the teaching at all. We would like to discourage that. We'd like you to actually pay attention to the scriptures that we're reading and the things that we're talking about surrounding them. Um, of course, keep all questions until the latter half of the show when we open it up for Q&A like we always do. And if you disagree with us, that's okay. But again, keep that towards the latter half of the show. Try to refrain from condemning and rebuking us throughout uh, this first part of um, the stream. Because again, we're trying to focus on the scriptures today. So, so that would be the main. Yeah. And in case anyone wasn't aware last night, uh, we, we announced the debate because it was on another channel. So I announced it with a live stream on my channel to draw traffic over to that channel. I wanted to actually multi-stream it, but I couldn't get the audio to work properly. So uh, I just told people in the live chat to go watch the debate as it was beginning on the Gospel Truth channel and then just, you know, deleted the the opening announcement live stream on my channel because it was no content, basically. It was just people waiting for something to start. But I'm going to rebroadcast it and mirror that debate on my channel later this weekend. So you'll get to see it on my channel if you if you. If it's too much work for you to go find that, other, find it on the other Gospel Truth channel. So um, uh, also, 
lot of a lot of people have wondered about something we announced at the end of last year called Wisdom Guard. It's a game that we are working on. And um, I just want to encourage everyone that it is still on our plans, but we are going to repurpose it. And I'm going to be explaining what that means um, here in soon, within probably a week or two, as we're going to make a large announcement for something that we've been working on as a ministry. Um, and uh, no, it's not about Lighthouse. Lighthouse is still ha happening. We're about to go through another beta testing around all that stuff. That's a different thing. But as far as our ministry and as far as what we're trying to do for uh, reaching the culture with the truth of scripture. Uh, we've got an, a wonderful new project that we've been working on for quite some time. And we're going to integrate Wisdom Guard into that. And I'll explain uh, when the time comes. So um, what else? Um, yeah, I think today we just wanted to talk about animals. Yeah, we. Um, this is going to be a less uh, deep spiritual teaching and more just looking at animals in the scriptures, we, this was kind of my idea, <laughs> obviously. Um, and thankfully my husband is sweet and decided to humor me. We don't have any kind of like huge lesson involved. We just wanted to look at, you know, animals in the garden, animals outside of the garden, animals in the kingdom, um, some of the commands surrounding animals and, you know, just where they fit into creation. Um, I know a lot of, you know, that I'm a big animal lover. I mean, I'm, that's probably one of my most girly traits. I'm a very typical girl when it comes to animals, puppies, dogs, kittens, uh, squirrels, um, honestly, rodents. <laughs> I mean, anything that's cute and cuddly, um, I'm all about it. And even the big, um, you know, cows, sheep, deer, you know, I just, I love animals. So I've kind of felt like it's a topic that you never see a sermon on. You never see a teaching on it. You never see a study on it. It's just kind of glazed over. So I just thought it'd be fun to just look at some of the scriptures today and maybe chit chat a little bit about them. And we'll probably do more of a Q&A than we have been the last few weeks. Because like I said, there's a little less to talk about here. We just wanted to look at animals in the scriptures. So, <laughs> yeah. So for all of you that have wondered why your animal can... <coughs> Why your animal can receive commands from you. There's God built them that way, right? Mm -hmm. Our Heavenly Father's wonderful. Um, he understands that part of communication is a part of enjoying fellowship with other sentient created beings. It's amazing, right? And with the Father Himself, He wants good, clear communication. Uh, he doesn't want us to be confused. And so there's a unique factor that most people have learned if you have any experience with animals is that they can understand you. Yeah, they really can. Yeah. We have a dog that is, we have three, but one of the three dogs is smarter than the other two. <laughs> and hopefully the other two can't understand what I'm saying when I say that. <laughs> but the point is the, the female, um, she is super intelligent. She knows when we are talking about certain things, she knows what to do, where to go, what to be ready for. She is uh, super intelligent. And, uh, and the other two are just waiting for food and pets, right. And playtime. So, it's smart a, in their own ways. They have different ways of, <laughs> of showing intelligence. But as far as understanding communicated language in our particular language, we speak English, mm -hmm. right, in our household. And it's amazing that in other countries, their animals will adopt that language. Yeah. And they pick it up and learn that language. Yet they don't speak it, right. but they hear it and understand it. They can discern <laughs> even in different languages. And what? how many languages are there like? hundred thousands and thousands of languages yeah, like there's a lot different dialects mm -hmm. uh, sometimes is also classified as a separate language in some regard but so that's a very unique trait because obviously scripture teaches that languages came up on the earth 
as the Tower of Babel was destroyed and the people were dispersed to go back to the lands where they were from. And the languages arose and their animals went with them. Right. So those animals then picked up the language of the people around them to be communicating and interact. And I think it's fascinating personally. And so we actually see that before that happened, apparently all the animals spoke one language and it was the same language as mankind. And I think that's fascinating. So we'll look at that real quick. Yeah, this is something you don't get in the canon of 66, but it explains a later verse in that canon of 66. Yeah. That people often don't really think about. Okay. So here in uh, the Garden of Eden in Jubilees chapter 3, and this is when after Adam and Eve had sinned, it says in verse 27, on that day in which Adam went forth from the garden, he offered a sweet savor, an offering, frankincense, goblin, and stacti, and spices in the morning with the rising of the sun from the day when he covered his shame. And on that day was closed the mouth of all beasts and cattle and of the birds and of whatever walks and of whatever moves so that they could no longer speak. For they had all spoken with one, with another, with one lip and with one tongue. It's amazing. Yeah. So it, it, verse 29 <laughs> says, he sent out of the garden all flesh that was in the garden of Eden and all flesh was scattered according to its kinds, according to its types under the places which had been created for them. It's pretty amazing because it seems to say that, uh, they were never intended to be there long-term anyway, because there were places already created for them. Yeah. And I love that that is actually in there because, you know, modern day evolution theory will tell you that certain animals live on certain continents only because they evolved that yeah. way. Like why are there only kangaroos in Australia? You know, why are there only antelope in Africa? Um, but it's, it's saying right here that there were places created specifically for, those different types of animals. It's pretty amazing. But this is why I feel like this is why when you look at your animal and you're kind of having a little conversation, when you're talking to them with more than just the straight commands that they know. And I know a lot of you can identify this. Your animal will look back at you and they have this look on their face. Like they understand what you're saying. <laughs> like they, mm -hmm. like they understand you. And up until I read this verse in Jubilees, I had never really, you know, I'm like, I would just always say, you know, I feel like they understand me. They just can't respond. But here it is right here. I mean, they were created, it seems like, to actually be able to speak back to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, well, let's look at an example where uh, in a special occasion, yeah, um, an animal was allowed its mouth, which was closed mm -hmm. at, at the exit of the Garden of Eden. Now this animal, thousands of years later, is allowed to speak for a specific reason. Um, and so we're going to look at that <coughs> real quick. By the way, have you ever, has anyone ever seen those talk pads that they have for, for dogs? Yeah, I follow a few accounts on Instagram. They're really, really cool. Aren't those, aren't those amazing? <laughs> because they, I mean, they press the buttons and it seems very, very specific. Yeah. Like as far as like what they're trying to say, it no. seems very intentional. No, no talk, baby. She's over here talking to us. No, <laughs> no talk, baby. Just, just relax, lay down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's to me the talk pads are eerie. Yeah, because it it gives you a very clear uh, indication that they not only know what you're saying, but they have their own thoughts. They want to talk back to you. Yeah, they want they have a will that they're trying to exert through communication that they they want need or something for whatever reason. Um, and you know they're designed to, to live outside right. for the most part. So they're not all designed to be inside. And so 
it makes perfect sense that they would hit a little button on the talk pad that says outside or P-A-R-K or whatever. Yeah. We can't even say that word, right? Because the dog, <laughs> yeah. the dog knows. So we, it's amazing to me. Like they. Yeah. I follow an account on Instagram called what about bunny? And this poodle is like, has full on conversations with her owner. I mean, she'll, her owner will say no to something and she'll say, why, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, and it's a whole back and forth. It's, it's really neat. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I feel like Jubilees explains what's going on in numbers 22. Yeah. Yeah. So let's look at numbers. 22 is a unique moment where um, Balaam is on his donkey going to curse Israel. Mm -hmm. An angel shows up and, uh, and has some, <laughs> wants to stop Balaam from doing this. So we'll start in verse 22 of numbers 22. Then God's anger was kindled against Balaam. Uh, because Balaam was going along and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. And no, that's not a pre-incarnate Yeshua. Right. That's an actual angel. Balaam was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the path and went into a field. So Balaam beat her to return her to the path. Mm. Great guy, this Balaam. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I'm not... Don't don't think of like some gruesome horror movie where someone's getting beaten to a bloody pulp. No. I'm sure he had yeah. a little swat, a little stick, and he was swatting her like you would do with with certain types of animals like this. But yeah, um, this is uh, the the donkey doesn't like it. No, right? She's not. So verse twenty four. <laughs> the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between two vineyards with walls on either side, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. <laughs> So we beat her once again. So it looks like Balaam is not noticing this angel of the Lord standing in their path, but the donkey is. Is that what I'm That's right. Yeah. It? The okay. donkey can see the angel, but Balaam cannot. Yeah. <clears throat> Verse 26, the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam and he became furious and he beat her with his staff. Verse 28, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've beaten me these three times? She knows how many times yeah. she's recounting numbers yep. and she's speaking intelligently. Right yeah. now, some people will mock and say, um, this is just a parable. This is a metaphor. This is a this is symbolism of something <laughs> like it's amazing how people will justify not wanting to believe the words in the book that they get their faith from. Yeah, um, because they are they're afraid of being mocked. <clears throat> right. Yet. Think about this for a minute. In the real world, scientists are already, they've already admitted that animals can speak. The talk pad is just an example of that there's even more sophisticated versions of the talk pad they're working on that literally is of like a voice box that'll have a human voice that you assign to it, male or female, that goes off the, the actions of the dog so it can speak to you in real time. And it doesn't need to press a talk pad. Like they're working on it. They've been working on that for a long time. It's like if someone, it's like if a human was mute and then could, and they had some sort of software that could detect body movement, just like the Wii. It detects your body movement and translates it to the video game, yeah. right? So in the same way, they're trying to apply that technology to help animals communicate to their to their uh, humans. And well, I, those same people don't have any problem with a parrot learning how to speak and have and yeah. respond to it. Like that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to them, because we're all, we've all grown up seeing talking parrots and cockatoos and stuff, but. When the Lord himself opens the mouth of a donkey, where previously animals, they had their mouths closed by the Lord when they left the garden. So if you have that missing piece, it's like, oh, well, 
the father's just just like he does with the gift of tongues where he reverses the curse of the languages at the tower of babel for a moment to let people speak the gospel to someone of a different language of course he can open the mouth of one of his animals that he created who he created them to speak but he closed their mouths when they left the garden that's right so it's fascinating <laughs> that you have a uh, an entire story here that israel doesn't refute later right no, no, no prophet says, oh, that was just a metaphor mm -hmm. that really didn't happen. Or, uh, you know, this is this is the writings of Moses. Yeah. <laughs> supposedly, according to according to the, yeah. the rabbis of Judaism. Right. So this is venerated direct word of God can't be challenged with questions. Right. Verse 28. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. She said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've beaten me these three times? Verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. See, so he doesn't just like fall on his face and say, the donkey is talking to me. Right. He responds to the donkey. Right. So they're in a full on argument right now. They're in a full on <laughs> conversation. There's no hesitation. He's not surprised. He's not like yeah. taken aback. You know, yep. oh my goodness, how is this donkey speaking? <coughs> but the donkey said to Balaam, I'm not the donkey. Am I not the donkey you have ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. He's like, you got a point. You got a, you got a point. <laughs> Verse 31, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn in his hand. Balaam bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? <laughs> so now the angel's taking up the cause of the donkey. Yeah. Yep. So does God care about animals? He does. He really does. He cares about how we treat them. Do, do angels follow the Torah of God? They absolutely do. They're supposed to if they're righteous, set-apart <laughs> angels. And he's taken up the cause of the donkey. Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, then by now I would have surely killed you and let her live. So the donkey is the hero in this story yeah. for Balaam. Yep. How amazing is that? The donkey is the one with discernment here. Yeah. <laughs> spiritual discernment. Yeah. She's seeing literal spiritual beings, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, there's how many, how many TikTok videos and YouTube videos are there of people and their pets seeing things in their house? Yes. You yeah. guys ever seen those videos? Put it in the live chat if you have, but we've, we've seen, I've seen a ton of them. Now, I don't know if they're unclean spirits or if they're angels, but yeah. there's these, these very eerie videos of home videos from cell phones, from dash cams, from security cams. The animals are looking at something or they're looking into a room and they get scared sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get happy and they're all like, but there's nothing there. Yeah. Right? I've experienced it with my own dogs. Yeah. And I'll be like, what are you looking at? <laughs> it starts to freak me out. <laughs> yeah. And that, like if they look up in the corner of the room or something, you're like, what's going on? There's nothing up there. Yeah. Um, or is there? <laughs> right. Is there a massive angel standing there? Yeah. So this is uh, this is very common. All all people from all languages, um, they 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 know, they will tell you 100% if you're a pet owner, that pets more than likely can see the spiritual world, yeah, the the spiritual beings um, around you that we cannot see. This is why the, the text says that um, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Right, but it doesn't say that it opened the donkey's eyes. Right. The donkey just saw that. Now the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Mm -hmm. But he didn't open the donkey's eyes. The donkey just saw the angel there the whole time. That's right. So they, yeah, to me, you know, if, if they can get these talk pads more yeah. accurate, what will the, what will your cat and dog tell you? You might not want to know. <laughs> when they'll be like, man, stranger. Yeah. <laughs> stranger. 
big intruder intruder <laughs> happy happy well, the other scared. <laughs> the other really cool thing here is that the donkey also seems to understand the authority of the angel and the the power of the angel and where <clears throat> a lot of times um you know i we're we get the impression from some of the scriptures that sometimes we can be in the presence of an angel as a human and not know it because they show up as a man. Right. But this donkey, he knew this it wasn't a man standing in front of him. This is an angel with a big fiery sword. I need to not try and walk past this guy. Yeah. He's blocking our, and then he's trying to tell his owner, Hey, there's something in our way here. We shouldn't go this direction. I think yeah. he's trying to stop us. <laughs> yeah. And so the angel and I would have to believe at this point, since Balaam's been talking to the donkey and the donkey's talking back, <laughs> that the donkey can also hear and understand the angel talking to Balaam. Right. So the donkey now is being venerated to know, to you know, in a, in a how do I say this, in a compassionate way. Hey, we're clearing up the confusion. God's got your back, donkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounded like Shrek just then. Come on, donkey. <laughs> so God's got your back, donkey, and I'm going to help correct your master to not beat you um for you know even though <coughs> your master was confused so right. it did the donkey um unfortunately got the got the staff to him a few times to her a few times but the angel is uh speaking in the presence of them both and explaining so the donkey can hear hey he didn't he didn't see me you know, so I know you saw me and you were trying to protect him. Your donkey was trying to protect you, Balaam. I would have already killed you and let her live. Yeah. So the, clearly the donkey is innocent in this regard. And I think it is a moment of compassion. The angel takes enough time to say in her presence, since clearly she can hear and talk. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that, hey, this is why your master beat you. He didn't see me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's compassion <laughs> extended even from the angel to the donkey in the communication and clearing up the, the confusion with Balaam. Um, so that he stops acting like this and um, and he's getting chastised for something he was about to do that was yeah. egregious. So it's very fascinating little story here. Um, it goes on to say, verse 34, I have sinned, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord. I did not realize that you were standing in the road to confront me. And now this is displeasing in your sight. I will go back home. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you are to speak, <coughs> but you are to speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Um, there's there's more context here. This is a bigger story. Take the take your time. Go read numbers twenty one through twenty four when you have a chance. But um, it's a it's a unique little insight yeah. into what what can animals understand. What did a prophet of the ancient world, even though this prophet was kind of sketchy, what did a prophet of the ancient world understand about animals with with no surprise? It was not a surprise to him yeah. that the animal could talk. So this is a prophet. This is a prophet that is now being used by the father to go do something on behalf of Israel. And this is why you should read chapter 23 through 24. He prophesies about the Messiah. Yeah. And he prophesies good over Israel where he was being paid to prophesy bad. And so like this is. This is interesting, like so validation from the father, a prophet of the Lord's not crazy. He does and can have a conversation with an animal because animals can and used to be able to communicate with mankind in the same language, which is why today maybe they their their mouths can't do it naturally, um, but they can understand what's being spoken in the language of their masters. It's amazing to me. Yeah, it's truly amazing. It really is. So it, it also, I wonder if anyone's done any studies on 
on adopting a dog from a family who spoke a different language. And if there was, it took a long time yeah. for that dog to respond to commands. That would be interesting. Yeah. Because they just by, by their nature, I would assume that they wouldn't, if they've been raised with uh, in a Chinese household and it was always yeah. Chinese, their commands given to them are always in Chinese. I doubt that they would immediately just come to understand I mean, yeah. English, but it's probably easier for them to learn. I mean, do they really get raised in a Chinese household <laughs> or do they get eaten? I mean, don't, be racist, baby. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you can adopt dogs from come on now or cats. Uh, or uh, let's say a Spanish household. You know, yeah, okay. let's say you're because that's probably a lot more likely to happen in our country. Um, but you know, I I would think it may not be as hard for them to learn a new language as it is for a human, as far as them understanding commands from someone in a new language. Because I know a lot of it has to do with tone um, and things like that. But I don't know. You know, I've never. I've never adopted a, a French dog or a right. Spanish dog. So I, you know, yeah. I don't know. Because if we said wee wee, they may go pee pee. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if the French dogs can understand. But either way. <laughs> so let's look at another one real quick. Um, since we're talking about how the angel was trying to venerate um, the, the case of the donkey itself <clears throat> and showing compassion to explain with the donkey in its presence that you, you know, hey, your master didn't understand he was confused. That's why he was striking you with the staff. And I was, I was, I'm here for him and not for you. So don't yeah. be afraid. You know what I mean? So he's also saying that yeah. because the donkey was afraid seeing yes. this thing, right? Yeah. The donkey there, knew. Many of you may know this, especially if you own horses, but there, there is a thing called a war horse, right? Where yes. certain horses have the courage to go into battle in, in ancient times and other horses did not. So not every, not every animal has the courage to see a massive imposing angel with his sword drawn. They know what that means. Yeah. But this donkey was afraid and tried to move away and go a different way. So there, the, you know, the donkey was not a war horse, right? Yeah. I guess that would probably explain why we don't see war donkeys. We see people, we see men riding in well, battle on horses, not donkeys. In, right? in the past, they did have donkeys that went to war oh, with did in, they? in Arab cultures. And oh, okay. yeah. So um, this is, yeah. So this is why it's not abnormal uh, from a cultural perspective for Yeshua to come in to Jerusalem on a donkey um, okay. because some did, some kings did ride donkeys to battle. But the point I'm trying to make is um, Yeshua comes back on a war horse, mm -hmm. right? That horse is not yeah. afraid for battle. That horse is underneath Yeshua as he's going to be going up to the beasts and, yeah. and Satan and all the, the hordes of armies. And, and in my opinion, the giants of that time that are going to be re-brought re back into the scene. Um, <laughs> at the battle of Armageddon and all the, and everything that they have to do to, to clear the land for the new Jerusalem to set down. Like that horse is not going to be afraid. Sorry. I'm laughing at master soup. <laughs> I've definitely met racist dogs. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's some dogs. Can I know what you're talking yeah. about. Master soup. <laughs> yeah, we know we've seen that too. I mean, we had a dog when I was growing up. It's interesting what they're having aversion to depending on if you get them from a shelter, depending on their life they had before. Cause we had a dog who, was terrified of tall men in baseball caps. As soon as they take the baseball cap off, she'd be fine. Yeah. And she also had a fear of the phone. I can remember I would run into my parents' room to go grab the phone because this was back before cordless days. And as soon as I'd run in the room and pick the phone up, she would run out. I mean, like terrified. And I thought at first, it's got to be because I'm running in here. Maybe she thinks I'm panicked. So I started to experiment. She'd be sitting there. I'd just walk in and I'd just pick up the phone and she would run out of the room. So we kind of assumed maybe at some point in her life before we adopted her that a tall man in a baseball cap threw a phone at her. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the best guess. I don't know what else would make a dog so afraid of a phone and baseball caps. But 
it's interesting how yeah. they, I've met, they develop I've met, these fears and stuff. I've met families who told me, take your hat off when you come in the yeah. house because the dog doesn't like men with hats on. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, so guys, hold your questions until we get to the Q&A part. I see questions already trying to pop up in the live chat. If you just, if you just got here um, at the beginning of these Q&As, we always do them at the end, the latter half of the show. So we're going over scriptures right now. Um, so basically, since I was talking about the idea of an angel trying to show compassion and create communication understanding to the donkey in the story of Balaam, um, that's a Torah trait. Okay, yeah. that's the heart of Torah is to care for the animal. Okay, and to and even in this moment where the animal was unjustly disciplined with the staff, right. that that the angel is giving enough concern and forethought for the for the animal to know, hey, there was confusion here, and there's it's a conversation spoken that the animal can understand, and so this makes perfect sense when we see verses like this, like in Proverbs twelve, verse ten, it says a righteous man regards the life of his animal. Mm -hmm. But the tender mercies of the wicked are only cruelty. Yeah. So Balaam was on his way to do a cruel deed. Yeah. He was on his way to betray his potential oath as a prophet to uphold the law, the law of God. And he was being paid by the enemy to go do something and abuse his position of authority and power. <clears throat> which was why the angel was ready to kill him. Yeah. Because at, at the prophet level, it's a different level of accountability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not you're not just making innocent mistakes. He was going to do something very intentional. And he was given just the very fact that his donkey uh, tried to move him out of the way and save his life. And then was getting it was getting punished for it by his master because his master didn't take the time and tenderness to be like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, what do you see, baby? What do you yeah. see, baby? Yeah. What's going on? You know, especially if he knows that animals can like if he's a prophet. You would think, but clearly that his in his heart at that moment was not tenderness. No, he it was, was only cruelty. Yeah, he was more on the path of, of a wicked man right. being cruel to his animal. <laughs> right. So very, very interesting um, concept here. We also have um, just the, the Torah command from the Father itself for the Sabbath. So this is in Deuteronomy 5. And it says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, on which you must not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant, men servant or maidservant, nor your ox or donkey, or any of your livestock, nor the foreigner within your gates, so that you may so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. So even the animals get to rest on the Sabbath. Even the animals get to rest. Yeah. And that I mean, so does that mean the animal like Yeshua's war horse that he comes back on is it is it gonna is it enjoying the Sabbath in the heaven above? I would think so. Yeah, since the the inhabitants of heaven above all observe the Sabbath as well. Yeah, right, because it's the precedent set by the Father on on at the end of the creation. Yep. So it's pretty amazing. Um, now there's also commands regarding you know an animal that is out of control. So we do see um, an example. I think it's in Exodus. If your ox escapes and gores somebody to death, that ox must be stoned to death. So there are consequences for an animal who uh, is da a danger to the public. Um, makes me think of, you know, some dogs that may get out that are vicious and end up attacking people. Yeah. And this, this particular passage you're referencing here, it's not just the fact that the ox gored somebody. Um, to, to my, to my, um, 
the owner has been warned and yeah. does not restrain it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it has a pattern, right? There's a pattern here. So, yeah. and this in my look guys, I know that um, in the same way that men can be affected by unclean spirits, I would say animals can mm -hmm. too. Yeah. But at the same time, an animal is very much like a child. It's going to respond to the attitudes that it's observed and witnessed um, around it. Yeah. So if, you know, if you if you're extremely fearful, you're gonna have extremely fearful dogs, right? If you're, um, let's just say, if you're cruel, you're more than likely gonna have cruel animals. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is why the owner has to be warned in this Torah command because the owner needs to be loving, caring for his animals better and showing them love, um, so that they're not um, treating others in some weird way. Because look, there's and people that have owned cows know this. Like you get you get a mean one, so to speak. Yeah. Right. But then, <laughs> but then you know, most of them you go and pet and show some love too and feed and they're, pretty they're not gonna yeah. But then other times you you get a mean one. Yeah. Same thing with trying to break mustangs or whatnot. Sometimes you get a really mean one that just wants to kick you out of nowhere suddenly. Yeah. You know, break your jaw, uh, break, break your ribs. But other times you get these really sweet horses that are super loyal, super obedient, um, and you just don't know what what caused that growing up and their, in their little horse life. Yeah. <laughs> their yeah. Little horse uh, nature versus nurture upbringing. There is a quite a diversity of personality for lack of a better word within the animal kingdom. Also for lack of a better word. I think that's a man-made phrase. I don't see anywhere where the animals are given a kingdom in no, scripture. No, no, there's, we definitely have dominion over them. Yeah. They're going to be there within the kingdom that we inherit. Yeah. So they're the, the father has a, kingdom that's considered a country also a city uh it's called zion it's called it in jerusalem and it's it's what hebrews 11 talks about that abraham man looked for a city and an architect whose builder was god he, he looked for a heavenly country mm -hmm. um, this is in hebrews 11 10 through 14 and that country is described as a place of mountains um a place where there's flocks of animals cattle on there's a herds hills. there's crops being grown yeah. Uh, there's wind, there's rivers, there's trees. Um, there's an entire ecology with an agricultural system built in. And that that place is being prepared, which means there's husbandry involved. And I'm just guessing the angels are the workforce of the husbandry maintaining that place until we inherit it. Well, and this is what frustrates me about the people who get so upset with Sean and I for suggesting that there could be animals in heaven. Um, or that God has a body. You know, Jesus says that we're going to inherit the earth and heaven is coming down to earth. So why do people assume that animals aren't involved in that in any kind of way when animals are a, a huge portion of this earth and our life on this earth? I mean, so many people for generations, their families, their whole lives have been livestock, you know, raising, raising animals, um, you know, ranching. Like there's this whole, there's a whole, I mean, all through the Bible, we see shepherds shepherding their flocks, you know? I mean, it's such a huge part of existence in this creation. I don't understand why it's so offensive or shocking to say, well, why wouldn't there also be a whole bunch of animals up in heaven as well? And they're going to all come down here and we're all going to, it's all going to be part of the same ecosystem that the father has created for us to inherit for eternity. I mean, in Revelation 19, we see that Yeshua, and I'm pretty sure it says his angels that are following with him are all on horses. Doesn't it? Um, in Revelation 19? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know what you're pulling up now, but I can pull it up on my phone. We can look it up real quick. Okay. I got it. I got it right here. Okay. Eleven. Is it eleven? Yeah. So it says, "Then I saw heaven standing open." Let me share it as we read it. Then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. With righteousness he judges and wages war. He he has eyes like blazing fire, and many royal crowns on his head. He has a name written on him that only he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses. So, so there it is. There is um, not just one war horse, but an yeah. entire army yeah. of war horses, which means there's 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 a animal husbandry for these horses. Right. Right. It's not just he's not just creating horses to, to come down on the day of the Lord. Yeah, and they're not just wispy, ghost-like creatures that just are going to dissolve into the air when this is all over. I mean, it seems like, and then it, because even in other passages, it talks about blood up to the bridles of the horses. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're mm-hmm. involved in this, you know, battle against the, and overcoming the wicked at Armageddon, the return of Yeshua. I mean, these are some very important characters in the story that are completely overlooked. I mean, last night in your debate, you mentioned to the guy you know, Yeshua's returning on a horse and he's like, oh, I don't believe that's really a horse. I mean, wh- why? What verse gives you the impression that we would interpret that as well, anything but a horse? It's not a verse. It's an entire lifetime indoctrination yeah, of evolution and materialism and this whole idea that all this is all there is. And you'd have to somehow tap into a different dimension in order yeah. to, you know, and they're also taught that spirits aren't real. Yeah. I mean, this is what do we read about the Sadducees to making their declaration in Acts 23. They didn't think that spirits were real. Right. You know, this is the same people that Yeshua had to reprimand about the resurrection. Yeah. What, what did yeah. you see last night? When yeah. I had to explain to the guy that he doesn't understand the resurrection. Yeah. Well, if you think you you go to heaven when you die, then you don't need a resurrection. There's no need for that. You're, you already you go right up there and you're immortal up there. And, but I just, I've, I have found it so interesting to watch people's reactions to us saying there's animals up there. There's a whole ecosystem up there. It's coming down here to earth. And it's going to be here for eternity. It's not just a one-time thing. Like it's the whole point is to bring them both together and for all of us to live together in harmony and peace. And part of that is going to be husbandry of the animals. You know, it's, I mean, we see Isaiah talking about how the nature of some of the animals will change in the kingdom. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, that's, I think maybe that's what made me want to talk about the topic is I feel it's so overlooked and ignored um, when animals are, you know, they out, I think they might outnumber us on this earth, just in sheer numbers of all the different species of animals on earth. I mean, they're, they're a big part of our creation and we just kind of glaze over that. Like, you know, oh, that may be in the kingdom, maybe may not, who knows? Are we going to eat meat in the kingdom? Probably not. We're going to be perfected. We won't need that. All this kind of stuff. And it just, I don't know. I don't understand why people think it's okay to just assume that God will just change the nature of everything and all this all of creation that he created once we're in heaven, once the kingdom is here. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, it's just not what's spoken. Yeah. Um, so even now there, you know, with someone in mountain mom in the, in the live chats asking, what will the animals protest if they're being eaten? You know? And it's like, do animals understand their role? 
I think that the ones that were created to be eaten seem to because they don't fight when they're taken to the slaughter. That's why the lamb is properly, used. Properly yeah, that's right. why the lamb is used as an example when it's led to the slaughter and it's quiet and it doesn't protest. No, there's there's people that you've, we've said this in the past and there's I've seen comments in live chat. People say, oh, I've raised sheep. They scream. Well, are we slaughtering them correctly? Because, yeah. I, I mean, there's a, you know, supposedly there's historical accounts of being able to um, make an incision in the right place where the, the animal doesn't feel it and the blood is drained and then they just go to sleep. Oh, so there's I, yeah. no protesting. There's no screaming. There's no there's no scaring them by putting them forcibly held into a conveyor belt right. held upside down. So. Again, yeah. what are the practices of how these animals are being slaughtered uh, for the for the sake of preparation of food or, or clothing? Um, because ultimately, the father built into his system that he calls eternal the right. idea of some food is from animals and others is from the ground, and that's just the nature of what he created. Yeah. And he himself calls it a wonderful, pleasing aroma when he receives food from the animals he created. This is how we created. So this is where it would go into the ordinances, the judgments of the father. Mm -hmm. When he talks about in the Psalms that his judgments are true and righteous. All of them are established from everlasting. So this is where I, I'm not I'm not speaking to anyone particularly, but just that sentiment that we see so much pushback from a vegetarian slash vegan crowd where they claim, oh, they disagree. They have a different judgment for an animal. Yeah. And, and it's not the father's righteous judgment. It's their own personal opinionated judgment is I think it's bad for any animal to have to die to become food. But yet they don't complain about the bugs and the cycle of bugs, how they eat each other all the time. Or animals themselves, all the carnivore, carnivorous animals and right. nature. So it, it's it's a bad it basically they you know, and this is where we all are discipling in this life, yeah. which means we're all continually washing our minds with the water of the word. So that we can adapt our thoughts to the mind of Christ, which is the judgments of Yahweh as Father. The instructions of those. There's judgment built into those instructions, right? Any law code means there's a precedent for how that decision was made. That's what the Father is referring to in the Psalms when he says his judgments, his decrees. Those are based on his understanding of what he made and how things work together. So when a man comes along and says, I don't like that judgment, I don't think we should do that at all. I think that's wicked. You're disagreeing with the judgments of your creator. And this is a part of our discipleship is that we lovingly adhere to his judgments and say, you know what? You do know what's right since you made everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a delicate balance um, with the position that we have with having dominion over the animals where we need to treat them with respect uh, and care and not abuse them. And also understanding our role as when it's time to dispatch them for the ones that are made for food, you know, having the, um, the strength and the fortitude to be able to do that as well. So, you know, that's how I would look at it from the biblical standpoint. Like, obviously I love my animals, my pets, but I also know the difference between my pets that are unclean. They're not made for food and all the cows down the road grazing on the beautiful mountains that were made for food. Now, I don't know that I could slaughter and process my own. I would like to learn how eventually just for survival. Um, but I feel like 
you know, God also gave us two sexes and there's two different generals. And I feel like men are a little bit better equipped and more designed emotionally to be the ones who handle that. That's why we see the men being the shepherds, um, you know, and the men doing the sacrifices uh, throughout the scriptures. So it's, it's a balance, you know, um, factory farming and those kind of things are not okay from a biblical standpoint, because that's not regarding the life of the animal, letting them stand in their own feces, their own excrement for their whole lives. They don't get to graze. They don't get to eat grass like God designed them, things like that. I would say those practices are biblically wrong. So it's not about eating the animal. It's not about killing the animal per se. It's about how they're dispatched and how they're raised before they're dispatched. So even the animals that are made to, made to be food, I believe that God wants us to treat them with a certain level of respect and dignity. That's why he has us let them rest on the Sabbath day as well, because they deserve, they deserve a rest too. They deserve that dignity as well. So that's right. <clears throat> and real quick, I just want to address one little comment in the live chat, because I think I've, I've seen several of these and this is the only reason I'm bringing this up. Um, there's, Certain, I've seen quite a few, several is better, a better way to say it. I've seen several comments about um, people saying they are not happy that I'm talking about the Trinity so much. Okay. Um, if you're, if you're actively watching the videos that I'm producing where I discuss the Trinity, hopefully you're seeing that I'm doing that with scripture. So if you do enjoy how we exegete scripture and the videos we put out on other scripture related topics, um, the reason why we feel the Trinity is such an important battleground theologically is because so many people believe it without understanding it. And it causes them to miss the gospel of the kingdom. It causes them to miss the purpose of the Messiah to become your high priest and how he saves you and atones for you. And it causes them to miss discipleship because with this doctrine of the Trinity comes an idea that the son is equal in authority with the father. And therefore he had the power to change the Torah. There's one reason discipleship. We run into it all the time Two, they claim that the son is in the same way, equal to the father and of the same mm -hmm. spiritual nature. Well, they don't even claim spiritual nature mm -hmm. of the same undefined essence of nature. And that's based off a philosophical premise, which, we're warned about in the book of Colossians that philosophy can take you captive and be considered deception. It's called empty deception. So we want to make sure people are not falling into deception. That's why we understand discipleship is extremely important. And if they're being told that God, through the Trinitarian concept, came to die for you, and had the power to change the law. So now you don't have to do what's clearly written in scripture as your discipleship, the commandments of God. We've seen that just as an infected virus amongst believers for years. And this is one of its core roots is this doctrine that God had to die for you because God died for you and not the son of God, but this essence God ontology thing died for you. This undefined philosophical premise had to die for you to assuage the wrath of an angry, vengeful God who wanted to kill everybody. This is this is also addressing PSA doctrine, which is not scriptural, because it gives license to the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic Church to literally make a declarative statement that you don't have to do the commandments of God. So it's a Torah battle, not just a theological battle over semantics of the Trinity. 
It's also a battle over understanding the ongoing purpose and mission of the Messiah, which is his priestly role, because they ignore that. As you saw last night in the debate, many Trinitarians share the same belief. They don't believe heaven's a real place. They don't believe the Father's a real entity. They don't believe he's sitting on a throne like the scriptures say. They don't believe he actually has a house called a tabernacle that his son ministers to him inside that tabernacle, as Hebrews 8 tells us. They don't believe any of that stuff. Yet they claim that they teach the theology of the Bible and they have it perfect and you have to believe them, even though they don't want to be challenged or questioned on it. This is a massive problem that needs to be addressed in the body of believers for clarity on what's the purpose of the Messiah, What's the expectation for discipleship once you have faith in the Messiah? What is the promise of the resurrection and the kingdom to come that the Messiah makes possible? The Trinity doctrine clouds, obfuscates, and confuses all those details so people are left without a proper understanding of Scripture. So thank you for your patience. If you're not a fan of us talking about that topic, or if you yourself hold Trinitarian beliefs and you don't like me talking about that topic, but ultimately, there's a massive reason, just like we've started preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and I've said emphatically from the start of this channel that it's the skeleton key that unlocks all the other concepts in Scripture and makes everything cohesive as a logical story that fits all the words in the Bible. That also means on all of those other tangent points, it's going to reveal the deceptions. So when you actually preach the details of the gospel of the kingdom like Yeshua preached, it's going to uncover all these other little doctrines that try to chip away at it. And this is what we've seen for five years on our channel, interacting with other people in the faith with different understandings and other very vocal and very angry proponents of different doctrines that are not in Scripture. We've seen how their doctrines tie in and chip away at the clarity of the message of our Messiah. So it's on our hearts to address these things. I have two things to add on that. The other issue with this particular doctrine um, that we are trying to help people with because a big part of our ministry is teaching people to repent of sin. Okay. And everybody's okay with us talking about repent of sin, keep the commandments. This doctrine leads people directly into the grave, grave, grave sin of falsely accusing the brethren, the brethren and condemning people to the second death based on a difference in doctrine. So they're walking around putting themselves in danger of being cast out of the kingdom because they're walking around with no mercy in their hearts and they are so comfortable and willing to just say to another brother in the faith, you're not a brother in the faith. You're headed for hell. If you don't repeat after me, you're going to die in your sin. And that that's a sin that they're committing. Albeit I give it to them that it's ignorant. I don't think they realize they think they're being helpful and loving somehow when they're doing that. But we're trying, we're also trying to clarify these things so that people can come out of that sin of being a false accuser of the brethren. That's really an egregious thing. And that's probably the worst fruit that comes out of this doctrine in particular. I mean, the most, it's got the most numbers of people that immediately will go to, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Uh, out of all the doctrines that we've had people come up against us with, the differences that they have from us and what we teach, that is the one that the people are the most comfortable sitting in the judgment seat of Christ and saying to another believer, your faith isn't real. You're going to hell. So that's another reason that Sean feels it's important to talk about it. And here's the other thing. <laughs> Sean and I have been in ministry for a while now, and I often joke about this, but it's true. 
I have learned that ministry is repeating yourself over and over and over and over until you die. Because there are certain fundamental topics that believers have discussed and debated literally from the beginning of the church and even before. I mean, we see the Jews have a whole set of books of their midrash, of their discussions over how to interpret different things and what should we believe about this and that. So part of being in this walk as um, impatient as I can get towards it is talking about the same topics on a cycle. You know, we go through the Rolodex. There are things that we're going to talk about over and over and over because especially the fact that we're on the internet now, I mean, we're we're in a much freer world. For the last 1,800 years, anyone who tried to talk about these things and write each other's letters about it, if they were outed by the Catholic Church, they were hunted down and burned at the stake as heretics, and all their letters were burned. So even the things, their opinions about these things didn't last for us to look at these days. And so a lot of Trinitarians will just sit around and say, oh, so you're just denying two 2,000 years of church history and something that all Christians have agreed upon. That's not true. There were plenty of Christians who didn't agree with this doctrine, but they were silenced and some of them were even killed because they wanted to discuss this with others and disagree with it. So we're living in a time where we're blessed to be able to talk about any doctrine. No one can excommunicate us. No one can burn us at the stake for it. You know, the Trinitarians can do that with their words, but they don't have any authority. So this I is this Sorry. is also just part of the rigmarole, for lack of a better term, of being a ministry. There are going to be topics that come up consistently, especially as new people find our channel every day. We have new people coming along that hear something and they're like, oh, I can't believe they just said that. Right. And we have to have the conversation all that, over again. That was half the debate last night. The guy was just yeah. like, wait, <gasps> what? How, what did you, how dare you? What did you say? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's in the Bible, man. That's, this is just, it's a real chain. It's what? <laughs> yes. It's a real chain. It's a real angel. This is just part of being a ministry. And so if you're getting tired of hearing the same topics over and over, I'd suggest maybe not watching ministry channels for a little while, go watch some other things, you know, listen to some debates, turn on the daily wire or something, you know, get some other content in your day. And maybe you won't feel like you're so overwhelmed with one particular topic, because I guarantee you the, the more you're watching our channel or anybody else's ministry channel, the more you're going to see the same topics discussed. Cause that's just, unfortunately, that's the nature of the body, especially now that we're free to have the discussions. So. What was it? Uh, the second <laughs> year, I think it was what the second year we were doing this that I, that I told you, um, I was having the realization we're just going to be repeating ourselves mm -hmm. forever. <laughs> and I, I asked, do we want to do this? Yeah. And I, cause I was seriously considering, do I want, like I had to make a choice. Like yeah. I didn't expect, I, I didn't think about it like that. Right. I didn't, I didn't know this was going to be an unintended outcome yeah. of trying to teach the Bible and, and encourage people in their faith. I didn't realize it was going to be just repeating myself incessantly and having to do it as if it's the first time every time. Like it's, I'm like a, in the perpetual movie, 51st dates. Like I'm, yeah. I'm Adam Sandler, <laughs> yeah. I'm Adam Sandler every morning trying to have a good disposition being like, okay, <laughs> yeah, here's what the resurrection is about. You know yeah. what I mean? Because if I act like it's old hat, people get upset yeah. and it's not received well. So like, I have to like every day, every time I go on camera, I have to act like I haven't talked about this stuff before to the best <laughs> of my ability. Sometimes I fail yeah. because you know, I want to talk about different things too <clears throat> but i also know this is the labor of love right this is this is the ministry part yeah where you're like you sometimes you do things you don't want to do but you see the necessity the necessity is people don't read their bible and understand it enough 
to, to battle these arguments. So we want to give them the tools in order to do that. Yeah. And and so I genuinely had a, a reality check around the second year. Yeah. So this would have been when we were doing our kingdom portions and we, I was doing Honor of Kings season two. And I was like, do I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life? Because like, <laughs> guys, you have to understand me as a person. When I grew up, I never wanted to repeat myself. Like this is God's funny joke to me as an adult. <laughs> Is that he's like, oh, you don't want to repeat yourself, huh? You think someone should have understood you and heard you the first time? How about I give you a heart to teach my word? And then you can repeat yourself yeah. for the rest of your life. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Oh, you you wanna you wanna serve me? Get ready to repeat yourself <laughs> for the rest of your life. And throughout the kingdom, as you go to the nations and repeat my words to the kingdom mm -hmm. and all the people of the nations that come to the kingdom and during the millennial reign and need to learn truth. And righteousness, you're going to repeat yourself for a thousand years. Yeah. So this is what I signed up for, not realizing it. This is what we all signed up for, not realizing it. And so it's a part of realizing, look, I can, I can speak. I could, we could have a channel with a million subscribers and each video could get a million views, but that's a drop in the bucket to the world. Yeah. And there, we got people from over 60 different countries watching us. Yeah. So like, I want to reach people as many as I can. And I just have to resign myself with all cheer and, and steadfastness that I'll repeat the words of God faithfully until I die. <laughs> yeah, that I can say that my husband doesn't have many character flaws, but we all have our weaknesses. And one of the only things I've really noticed that he struggles with is if I don't hear him and it's not because I'm not listening, like I may just be turned in a different direction or something. There's a lot of times where I'll go, what? Huh? <laughs> and I will see the look on his face where he, he has to do one of these and repeat himself. And he told me years ago, because I would say, why, why are you, you know, what's the problem? And he would say, I'm sorry. This is one of my, this is one of my things. I struggle to have to repeat myself to people. And so we've joked about it ever since because that's literally his career now, basically, for lack of a better word. He's working for the Lord and feeding his sheep and we have new sheep finding us every single day and then you have sheep who want to come and challenge you but they're not really listening when you're answering their questions they just want to kick you yeah they're asking to try and do gotchas so they're not really listening to the answer so you end up repeating yourselves over and over with them too and i'm they're not I'm, really listening and metaphorically if you've ever seen a video of a farmer <clears throat> and a sheep comes up and kicks him or butts him when he's not looking <laughs> That's that's what some people are like when yeah. they come in, they want to challenge yeah. and they, they don't want to learn. They're not trying to even though the farmer is there trying to feed those sheep. Yeah. Right. Literally in their pen, trying to give them food. And the sheep comes up and butts them from behind yeah. and knocks them down <laughs> like that's I I'm the one dodging the sheep and then trying to hug it and wrestle <laughs> yeah. it to the ground instead of beating it with the staff. Right. Yeah. Or back kicking it. So, like, it's just one of those deals, man. You just it's it's the nature of, uh, of what we signed up for. And, and we had a, we had a moment uh, in year two. Where, I still have those moments. Where I, well, I, I had <laughs> a big he's moment. He's the main guy here. So like, so. had I had given up, you, we wouldn't have had a channel for the last three yeah. years Had I'd given up at that point, but I decided, no, 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 we just, we'll stay the course. I'll stay the course. This is my problem. This is my character flaw. <laughs> I'll just get used to repeat myself. That's yeah. okay. And, uh, and I'll just figure out more creative and inventive ways to repeat myself, which is why, guys, you see me do lots of different series. I'm talking about the same stuff all the time. I just I just try to put in a new intro and new graphics, new new uh, new slides with new background images and effects and new ways to talk about it. Like it's like 
you know, I get to apply my uh, God-given creativity to try to figure out more interesting ways to teach these things. And one of the ways that people learn, not everybody, but one of the ways that people learn is through the conversational format and the debates is they, they need to see that real time rebuttals, right? So this is why some people love debates and some people cringe and don't like them. They get very uncomfortable with them, right? Because they think, oh my goodness, that guy's being offended right now because Sean is showing him that he has contradictory logic in Daniel 7, right? So like they're, they think, oh, that's a really bad, that's embarrassing for him. They don't like watching debates. They feel like it's it's awkward. Um, but other people, they need to see that in real time. Yeah, they other need, people are really edified by them. They need to see when there's men and women out there claiming they have the truth of scripture and you should believe them that they if they can't answer scripture, if they, if they don't know scripture well enough to answer logical scriptural based questions, that a lot of people out there need to see that kind of stuff in real time. Right. It's very important because that's, you know, you don't get to see that at a church setting. The pastor is yeah. not going to let you challenge him. <laughs> very, very few pastors do an open Q&A with their audience in the main congregation. They tell you create a, a private appointment with them in their office hours between Sundays. So you rarely get to see anybody actually challenge a pastor who's clar- who's declaring, this is what we teach. This is what the Bible teaches from our understanding. and You need to believe it. And so this is why we thought, you know, let's let's film it. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Um. I would love for you to put uh, scroll up. Just I would love for you to put Mark's comment up. Okay, Mark Merritt. Yeah. So, by the way, guys, we're getting to the Q and A point, so you can start putting your questions in the chat. Put them in all caps, please, and no, they don't have to just be about animals. It's like right. any other Q and A. You can ask anything you want today. Um, Mark Merritt is saying maybe we can help you repeat yourself, Sean. Maybe those of us who have watched you for some time can start making our own videos and having live chats. That. Yes, we are discipling you guys. Where, where do you think West Place came from? Yeah, the whole point of discipleship and the whole goal of our ministry is to teach people to be able to understand and comprehend the word so that they can go and help other people understand and comprehend the word. Now, not all of us should be teachers. Not everyone is called to have a channel and be actually teaching from a place of leadership and authority. So we would want you to be very prayerful and considering that and make sure that you're absolutely ready to and that you're able to defend things from all sides and that you're actually qualified to teach and that you have the gift of teaching. So we wouldn't say just anyone who watches our channel should just go start their own channel. No, I mean, you have to, you, I really believe work the father needs yeah. to give you the gift of teaching, you know? Um, but if you feel called to that and you feel prepared, then yes, by all means, yes, we need more people teaching the gospel of the kingdom and scripture in context. So <clears throat> Um, I saw some up here. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. I saw some. Chat's been moving really fast today. It has, yeah. Yeah. Be more fair, Sean. Oh, dare you. (laughs) Dare you question. You don't know what you're talking about. All right. Uh, Right out the gate, the flawless is asking is it a sin to, to the super chat on a Sabbath? Um, you know, this is a, a donation to someone because you uh, you appreciate the work they're putting in, right? This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9, about uh, people in ministry. Um, they have a right to earn a living from the gospel that they're teaching. Just as he repeats a Torah command from Exodus, just as you would not muzzle the ox while it's treading the grain. Uh, so also, you know, anyone that ministers the gospel has a right to receive uh, 
help from those who are being fed by him. So uh, clearly we don't demand people do this, no. you know? And so in a, this, this whole premise falls under the Yeshua's admonition of the Sabbath, that it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So if you're trying to bless someone that's ministering to you, whether it was a prophet or priest, remember we read a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, the concept of the, pro <coughs> the concept of the prophets where um, uh, maybe it was not a Sabbath fellowship. Maybe it was another video I was reading doing, but um, no, no, it was with Andrew uh, LeClaire. We were reading um, from some of the early church fathers yeah. writings. And, uh, and so they were, they were talking about how it's okay to give from the substance of your first fruits to a prophet. Yeah. And I'm not a prophet guys. I'm just giving you a principle. Just, just please, you know, let's not, let's not nitpick what I'm saying. Just hear the principle that I'm talking about from scripture about the first fruit was to go towards the priests first. This is, this is your Deuteronomy instruction from Deuteronomy 21 goes to, or should be numbers, uh, numbers 18 goes to the priest first. And then the rest was going to collectively the house of the Lord that the priest dispersed to the, those in need, the widows, the orphans, the poor, things like that. So the priests, as well as prophets, were supposed to be ministers of God's word. That means they knew the word and they re related to the people for teaching and edification. And so that's that is them collectively and effectively receiving both first fruits of whether it was uh, animals, agricultural, wine, whatever it was, or sometimes just money because they traveled from afar mm -hmm. and they exchanged their first fruits for a denomination, brought that denomination as their tithe, their first fruit. And so, um, so no, I would not say a super chat is um, somehow doing something on the Sabbath. You're not causing us to work. You're donating as a blessing. Um, and this is not a tithe. We're not official priests in the temple. This is just what we, what's called a love offering because you believe we're, we're teaching the word of God and that you want to keep us, keep us doing that. So that's all it is. Yeah. You're not buying something from us and we're not selling something to you. You're right. just showing appreciation. We're, we were going to do this without super chats. We, we yeah. don't, we don't actually hardly get super chats a lot on no. our Q and A's anyway, but we do this regardless. We do this without them. So that's either way. Um, while the unpopular is asking Gentile parents say spanking is wrong because the Bible says you can't hit animals. So why would God allow spanking? How would you go about responding to them? Well, the scriptures talk about the rod of correction. And that was literally why Balaam had a staff. Mm -hmm. um, the animals, you know, so I would say to your question, the quote unquote Gentile parents are, you know, misrepresenting the scriptures <laughs> to make their arguments. So you could discipline with the rod, with the staff, and sometimes with the whip, uh, the cows, the bulls, the oxen, or whatnot. Um, so this was a principle in, in the Torah. You just don't want to beat your animal unnecessarily. You don't want to abuse it, not feed it, not change its hooves, not clean it. Not, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to abuse your animal. You want to take care of it. But all, all things in life need correction, needs the rod of correction, because we all don't have it perfectly figured out right out the birth canal. So... Um, I guess I would say that the whole premise of that question is someone that doesn't truly understand the Bible, hasn't read the Bible more than likely. And so um, I would say that with a child, you, you, you definitely have to show some correction to them. You have to set firm boundaries. I don't encourage, um, I don't encourage, I, I'm not opposed to a physical, um, to a physical, uh, what's the word? Correction. Yeah. Um, I just think that you should be, I think a parent should be very careful on how they do it. Because if you're just grabbing a random coat hanger 
like yeah. some parents, if you're grabbing a random extension cord, like some parents, if you're hitting them with just any random thing in your hand, yeah. impulsively, the child sees your impulsive, non-structured, out-of-control behavior. I, you know, my father had to learn. I watched my father learn this over time. When I was a little kid, he was, his discipline was out of ferociousness, okay? <laughs> like he was angry. He was red-faced, upset, mad. And over time, he he learned to, to, to harness that. And he, you know, I mean, I, I make the joke that he could get his belt off faster than people can draw guns. Like he could, <laughs> like he, he gets belt out and be slapping me before I could run away. Like yeah. he, he was fast. And I, I remember in my head one time, this visible scene of him like fiddling with the belt because it wouldn't actually come undone. And I had like an extra second <laughs> to get away, you know, to try to go. But I ended up just standing there knowing that it wasn't going to matter. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was he was going to find me in the house. So. But the point is, um, I think he realized over time that he should not discipline out of anger, but out of intention. And that, that's what I would encourage for parents. I tried to do that with my son. Unfortunately, because I was divorced early in my life and I didn't have him full time, I always had a constant battle of the lack of discipline he was getting at yeah. the other house versus my house. And so that became an issue and even to today. But if you have the child in your care full time and you can control the outcome of, of the rod of correction, quote unquote, I don't encourage hitting them until they're bruised, bloodied or broken or in terror. But you definitely have to set a standard of boundaries of correction so that the child knows. And I would highly encourage parents out there to not discipline their children out of anger because they're going to see that and they're not going to respect you for that. So if you can do it with intentionality and calmly, this is usually where the fathers step in, in all honesty. No offense to the ladies, but I'm just going off hey, statistics. I'm okay? like, here, so I would handle this. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I'm already planning it. <laughs> but hey, if the if the if the dad's a hothead and the mother's more calm, let the mother do the correcting. Okay. Um, let the father be the silent enforcer that just sits there fuming in the chair in the background if you have to. But but either way, if you lose control, the kid will notice this. It's no longer a rod of correction. It's abuse. So you got to maintain control, maintain correction, do it for the just reasons, not just because you're annoyed, not just because, you know, you do it for just reasons. I guess the story of Balaam is, a, is kind of a very nice little template for, the, for the heart apropos. of the father versus the child. <laughs> Because sometimes the child doesn't understand why they're being disciplined because the yeah. parent's not communicating to them. Right. The parent's just upset. They've had a bad day. It's they just a, are, they're annoyed. They're punished instead of receiving consequences. Yeah. So, you know, the gentle parenting crowd, like I understand where they're coming from. Cause I agree. I agree to a certain extent that uh, physical correction with um, spanking doesn't have to be your go-to. You can have other forms of consequences for bad behavior and communicate. This is your bad behavior. And this is why you're getting this consequence. And for a lot of kids that can be sufficient um, where gentle parenting gets into the, you know, the hippie too, too much for me thing is where they want to sit down and talk with the child about their feelings and what, how, how they're feeling right now. Let me respect your feelings and your emotions that made you act this way. Now, sometimes I think it's appropriate to, when a child is older, be yeah. discussing, you know, your feelings and what led to this. But when you're dealing with a tiny two-year-old tyrant who, you know, has no hey. emotional regulation and it's really not about feelings, they're just cranky and they need a nap. Even when my son was like 10 years old, yeah, like there were certain things that it, there was... <clears throat> There was no, it wasn't, it wasn't discussion time. 
Yeah. It was, you've clearly shown yeah. attitude and rebelliousness for no reason other than you're upset. You don't have to control yourself. There's got to be consequences and boundaries. Set yeah. Up right now. So we're, you know, Sean and I aren't planning to teach Levi how to go out and cut his own switch. You know, we're <laughs> not, we're not of that mindset. Um, but we also, you know, I mean, if a child needs a smack on the, I'm the type of person that's like smack on the hand or swat on the butt. If it's something very, very serious, um, in the moment, but even then, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know until I get there. So I can't give a whole lot of parenting advice. I can just talk about certain things that I experienced. I know that my dad was not, he wasn't really a spanker until my brother and my sister came along and they were way more, uh, difficult, um, children than me and my older sister were. But I can remember I got one swat on the butt from my dad. I don't even know what it was for, but my behavior completely changed and I never wanted to get a swat on the butt from him ever again. And it wasn't even like, I remember the pain or anything like right. that. It was the shock of, Oh, I really made my dad very mad. And I really crossed a boundary with him and he is very serious with me right now. And I don't want to make him feel that way about me again. So, you know, just going based on my own life, you know, I would not, I would never hit my child with a spoon. Like my mom did with the wooden spoon and broke that on my butt. That is abuse. <laughs> But my dad giving me that one swat on my diapered butt, you know, I can remember I had a diaper on, so it was like cushioned, but that, you know, that set me straight. So, you know, we're not, we're not pro spankers, but we're not anti uh, physical correction if it's needed once in a while. When I was 12, my mom um, was trying to spank me and I, you know, I'd already, at that point I'd gotten to a point, maybe I was even 13, but I, you know, I was in my uh, adolescent body. And I, I wasn't fully grown to my height. I was now, yeah. but I was, <coughs> I was, bigger. I was very athletic. I was in all the sports. I was already uh, working out. Um, uh, and so I just, I just remember there was this weird moment where she realized because I wasn't reacting. Yeah. So she was just hitting me and I was just, you know, she's hitting me on my backside and I'm just staring at her because I, and I, I was realizing in the moment, this actually doesn't hurt. Yeah. Like I've getting hit harder than this in football. Like I, yeah. I, me and my friends kick each other and hit each other harder <laughs> than this. Like this, this doesn't actually hurt. And so she realized that. And that was the last time she ever tried to spank me. Yeah. My, so there's a moment where you have to evaluate. Yeah. All right. Now we've moved away from, we need a different type of discipline now. Yes. My, my two younger siblings who were, had very, a lot of behavior problems, they would get the belt. And I can remember I would sit in my room and I would hear them get each swat on the belt and hear them scream and cry. Ah, you know, all these theatrics. And I'd run into their room after dad left and be like, Oh my gosh, you okay. And they'd be like, yeah, it doesn't hurt. We just scream to make dad feel bad. And then they just go back to misbehaving the very next day. So Every child is different. Um, this is, you know, this is a topic Sean and I don't address on this channel because every child's different. Every parent's different. Every situation is different. Some kids don't respond uh, to that type of correction. Others do. I was the type that I responded to most correction. I even once I was older and the, the consequences were being grounded, I would behave because I didn't want to be grounded. Whereas my brother would be told he would be grounded and he didn't listen to that. He'd be out of his room. He'd be walking down the street and my parents, for some reason, didn't have the fortitude to hold him to his grounding, whereas they did with me and my older sisters. It was funny, the dynamic there. But so, yeah, I mean, with the gentle parenting folks, I really don't ever try to get involved with them and their arguments. And I don't try to make a case from the Bible for spanking or things like that, because I feel like it's a pretty personal thing. And unless someone is actually 
uh, physically abusing their child. I don't think it should be any of our business how another person chooses to discipline, whether that's with their hippie, gentle parenting, where they're just trying to talk about the kids' emotions, or whether it's, you know, um, the the Latina mom who th throws her flip-flop at her kids, and that's like a, a known cultural thing for them. And those kids don't want to set their mom off and get the flip-flop thrown at them. Yeah. So, well, you know, usually it's not just a flip-flop, but like, yeah, you know what I mean? Know, the, the, <laughs> the rod of correction comes yes. after the flip-flop. That's their warning to get ready. Yes. I knew kids who they had the type of parents that would have them go cut a switch. And those kids did not want to go cut a switch. And you know, they, right. they followed the rules. So it's, it's different for everyone. Hang on a second. I'm trying to find, um, you can keep riffing if you'd like. I'm trying to find some real quick. Um, I think I'm, I've You're probably done. beat I've, yeah. I've beat that topic <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the exact passage. Um, <clears throat> guys, put it in the live chat. I'm, I'm going blank in my mind right now. If you remember this exact passage where Yeshua talks about um, a wicked servant that will be uh, beat. Mm. Um, because there is this general premise from some people saying that, well, God doesn't God doesn't beat anything. And Jesus didn't beat anything and God won't beat anything. And that's not how he does something. And that's why I'm trying to remind folks that there is in the Proverbs, there's something called the rod of correction is literally what we read about. Balaam had a staff that yeah. he tapped his donkey to correct him on his way to keep him from going off. Um, this is going off course. Um, this is also what you where this idea came from with with men, with children of men. Mm -hmm. Like this is the idea that there's a rod of correction for a reason. Um, yeah, I know, brother Eric. I, I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired today, so I can't remember. I can't remember this verse, but there's a. I think it's in the the uh, unforgiving servant parable, where the one that you know he got his debt forgiven, yeah, then he goes to the other guy, and mm -hmm. the other guy he's not holding his debt. He's holding his debt against him. Someone's saying Luke twelve thirty seven. I was looking at Luke eleven, so I was close, but my mind wasn't there today. Twelve forty seven is what mm -hmm. they said. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna put this on screen. <laughs> Um, so this is in Luke 12, 47, the servant who knows his master's will, but does not get ready or follow his instructions will be beaten with many blows. But the one who unknowingly does things worthy of punishment will be beaten with few blows from, for, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required from him who has been entrusted with much, even more will be demanded. And so, you know, this is a thing where the father, it's, you know, father understands physical correction and punishment. Yeah. You know, like you, you mentioned, um, that one time that you remember with my son, I don't even think it was twice. I was once or twice. And then every time I would act like I was going to go punish him yeah. or correct him, he would change his behavior and straighten up. And cause he didn't want to spanking. Right. Yeah. So it's not like you got to just beat your child forever. Like if you're doing that again, that means you're out of control. You're not applying the scriptures with wisdom and prudence. And the, ch the child will realize that. And that breeds rebellion instead of relationship under the relationship. That's when they respect the correction. This is where, you know, you have to, unfortunately, outside influences get in by the time they get teenagers. And then suddenly they, it's a battle for your respect yeah. and it's not a battle for your, your correction and discipline anymore. So, um, just, I, I heard a, an amazing statement a long time ago. It says rules without relationship breeds rebellion. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So that's, if you're, if you're, this is why it's so important when they're young to instill the sense of boundaries through actual correction and physical correction can be a part of that, especially with, with young boys, Yeah, with young boys, especially they need the rod of correction. I'm just yeah. letting you know, <laughs> I'm letting you know. 
if you scroll i gotta up, go back up i missed a lot what, yeah what's going on babe what you see? you could keep scrolling up i wanted to answer this specific question okay it was just after um morgan's question so if you look for her all well, caps. that's the one i was going to oh good okay it's just we've had a lot of the chat today yeah. so Yeah, for the first I'm upset with us using the word kids, we're not bears either. And our child isn't literally a bear cub, but, you know, we've got our little mugs that someone bought I us. Just ignore that, babe. So I'm just saying. Like, is this one right here? That's something I see people say all the time, like they're so triggered by it, and I don't hey, is, understand. Is this one right here? Yes. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's stay. We got, we're already here at hour and 23, so let's, uh, let's try to get to a few questions here. So Diego Frund is asking, um, have you given thought to Lindsay's 40 days of purification to Lindsay's 40 days? Have you given thought to Lindsay's 40 days of purification after Levi's grand arrival? What would that look like today? Great job with self-control last night. Encourage me to do better. Um, well, yes, we're mentally preparing ourselves for it because what it looks like today is pretty much what it looked like back then without the sacrifice at the temple involved where uh, we refrain from physical intercourse for that time period. yeah so between us there's no sex involved during yeah. that days of purification and maybe even beyond that depending on the birth and all that stuff yeah. but as far as the whole point of this particular passage from leviticus 12 brother is this was about presenting the woman the next time she could come back to the temple because it was a common thing for them to come to the house of the lord for prayer or for a vow offering or for a dedication offering in this regard she would have to bring in her guilt offering afterwards and and the child they've already brought the child up to the temple on the eighth day usually for for circumcision um but the mother she may have to wait some time um so that was the the main context of leviticus 12 was more about when the parents the mother and the child could go to the temple itself but um and if we um you know modern modern science and medicine we do know it is it's always recommended to wait at least six weeks after birth because you have a literal wound inside your body. Women. I don't think he was talking about that, sweetie, but okay. I mean, that's I, part of it. Yes, it is because the command is she shall remain in her purification, just like she's on her menstrual yeah. cycle, which would mean no physical intercourse. Right. We, so we talked about that. that is intimately a part of the topic of your days of purification after um, giving birth. But I'm trying to say it's not, it's not just about, going back to the ta tabernacle, I believe that the father is wise and knows that a woman's body needs to heal and that you can, you can get an infection in that wound if you do that too soon afterwards. So that's why yeah. even in the unbelieving secular medical world, most doctors who are with it will recommend a woman wait at least six weeks before yeah. intercourse. So, Yeah, I think, um, yeah, well, I won't mention that, but I've, I'm, I'm, I've been married before and I've had a child before, so I, I'm definitely aware of that. And um, it's not a thing I have to prepare myself for because I, I'm okay with it. It's yeah. okay. Um, Miriam is, is, is asking, is there a holding place for animals after death? Uh, I, I've never seen that mentioned in scripture, yeah. so I don't know how that works exactly. Um, we'll have to ask the father when we get there. I've never seen anything detailed on that. All right, here's a lighthearted question real quick. Who's your favorite character in the Bible, sweetie? I couldn't choose one. I mean, I would, obviously the father, his son, you know, I mean, they would be at my top just because they're my, that's, those are my saviors. That's the, you know, the son is the one who came to me and revealed his father's presence. All right. So, so how about <laughs> just, just for the, just for the sake of conversation, we all, we all love Yeshua the most besides him. 
Who's your Who's your favorite character in the Bible? That's a really hard one. Um, I'm going Noah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, and Abraham, yeah, I, Abraham is second. That's so hard for me to say because a lot of the angels fascinate me. I mean, the angel of the presence who you know delivers the Book of Jubilees. Um, okay, so now we're going angels, not just men. I mean, if we're talking about okay. characters, right. you know. <laughs> Um, a lot of them interest me. Um, obviously we're naming our child Levi. So I, I really, once I learned more about his life through his Testament, you know, Levi is uh, a fascinating character to me. And he was amazing. He was about that life for, for Yahweh. For one sure. of the few who did not turn against his brother, Joseph. And, mm -hmm. you know, Joseph is a great, I mean, there's so many, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say I have a favorite. Yeah. My top two are Noah and Abraham. I think the, those guys were amazing. Noah's perspective of the pre-flood world to the post-flood world. I mean, he lived 350 years after the post-flood yeah. world. So like that perspective, seeing that transition, uh, I had so many questions when I get there, if I could just, just set an appointment with Noah, just, <laughs> Hey man, I just, you know, yeah. Can we just hang out for a little bit one afternoon and go, uh, let's go build a boat together. Um, so many things, so many things <laughs> I want to talk about and ask these dudes. Static kingdom is asking, does scripture say whether unclean animals will be in the kingdom or not? Uh, yeah, they will be. I mean, snakes are up there in Isaiah chapter 11. Um, there's snakes up there. There's lions, uh, are, lions are there. Yeah, there's all of God's creation will be there. We just won't eat them all. So, yeah, but that means that, yeah, to my understanding that scripture directly tells us that unclean animals with now remember, they're only unclean if you try to eat them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or touch their dead carcasses or something. But um, but like that's just them walking around existing they're not bad like you yeah. created them they're yeah. okay they're not evil so, and wicked by nature yeah they're just not food i think um islamic theology is that there's no there's no unclean animals in heaven uh yeah and i think I'm, that's I what know. part of the theology i know that in this crowd there has been some theories pushed about pigs being genetic uh chimeras made from human flesh i there's i don't see any proof of that anywhere and the scriptures definitely don't say that so i would not demonize these animals um if i could help it um as far, if you're a farmer and you have pigs on your farm you know that they come in handy with cleaning up a lot of stuff that you don't want to have to clean up so i mean they they do have their use in this world uh ruben is asking how do you not get distracted by the world uh I mean, I'm a, I'm a unique case, bro. I do get distracted, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. I, I do get distracted for sure. I don't know exactly what you mean by distracted, like what your implication is there. Um, if it's, if your only implication is like, cause I jokingly call myself a word nerd and, uh, I, I've studied the Bible all the time. Um, it's just my passion. Like I, I used to pray all the time and I don't, I used to daily pray this and I don't, I don't pray this daily now. My prayers have kind of changed over time. It's it's morphed into my prayers, but it's not the same language. But I used to use the same exact prayer for almost 24 years um, since, since I was 18 years old. And asked the Father to give me knowledge, wisdom, understanding of this word and of his word, excuse me, of this world and of his word, so that I may better relate his word to this world. So I would pray, Father, I'm asking today for your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of this world and of your word, so that I may better relate your word to this world. And that's what I would pray every single day as a natural outflow of that. You're going to be interested in this word, but that doesn't mean you're just, I don't know if you mean distracted by the world, meaning like you get away from following the commandments and you step into a time of rebelliousness. 
Um, that's, you know, if that's your implication, then, you know, that's just where we, we got to confess our sins, come back with a humble and contrite heart and, uh, and, and start over, you know, just do it again. Just never give up, never give up just because you've made 10 mistakes, a thousand mistakes. Like we've all sinned multiple times with the same sins, like just, uh, never give up, never give up, man. Um, while you're scrolling, just to answer the, Millie's question about my necklace, it's not as any specific shape for any particular, oops, that's, that's the bag for any particular reason. It's just, uh, the way that the wire flowed around the stone to fit it, to attach it to the frame. Do you call that a heady wrap? Uh, not yeah, me. yeah. It's called a heady wrap. Um, meaning that it's a more complicated wrap. Yes. Normal. It's a more yeah. complicated piece. This is just a, this is a special necklace for me because in the center of it is this really pretty opal and Sean bought me that opal for my birthday one year. So he knows he doesn't have to buy me jewelry. He just buys me stones that I can make it's into a, jewelry. It's an Ethiopian opal. <laughs> Ethiopian opal. And then I just put other stones around it that go with the color. There's no particular deep meaning or anything. It just, um, certain stones, I'll just put them into a frame and I'll kind of let let my creativity flow and figure out how to attach them to the frame. So. <clears throat> All right. LFTD Lorax 2 is asking about Colossians 5.3. I'm going to pull this up because he's kind of paraphrasing. And I just want to be fair to the question and try to get the full context here. Colossians 2.5, 5.3. It, maybe there is no cautions five. Maybe it's three, five. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, there it is. All right. So <clears throat> this is put to death. Therefore the components of your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. When you lived among them, you also used to walk in these ways. But now you must put aside all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So this is uh, the, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires and the greed was synonymous with idol worship. So this is why it's very easy for Paul to be referencing idolatry in a sense of this is the this is the heart attitudes and the, and that physical behaviors of idolatry because the sexual morality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires, these were commonplace for the practices done at the idol temples. Same thing for the greed. So, uh, because the, like I've talked about before, many of the temples, especially the ones to, to Nurgle or to, to Baal, um, they were like an Amazon warehouse. It was a marketplace for exchange as well. And so this is where you'd have unjust weights and measures, people getting, people getting shook and taken advantage of. Um, people getting getting value stolen from them because of uh, improper weights and measures. Okay, so there's a lot of a lot of things there, but ultimately this is a very quick quick uh, reference that Paul is making about your discipleship, as far as like this is the this is the type of life you used to be in, and all that is definitely referenced as idolatry because it was when you were out of covenant because you were a considered a son of disobedience when you lived among them and walked in these ways, as verse seven says, but now things are different. So now you disciple yourself, you discipline yourself to put aside those behaviors and practice new behaviors. So this is why it even goes on further in uh, verse nine, do not lie to one another since you've taken off the old self with its practices. You've put on the new self being renewed to the knowledge and the image of its creator. 
Um, so that's another stark distinction and contrast between an old way of life full of sin, which was you're not a part of the covenant, so you're idolatrous, versus the new way of life and new practices to, to conform to the image of the Father and the Son. Yeah, so obviously you can engage in those sins without actually engaging in the literal act of idol worship, where you have a statue in front of you, right. you're making a sacrifice to it, you're doing rituals in front of it. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let, me, let me just, for everyone out there, so you don't try to clip that, obviously you can make mistakes and do those sins. You don't, we are not prescribing that you engage in them, but you can make mistakes and do those sins. I wasn't but saying you can do just, those I'm things. just being, maybe I'm, I'm just being very clear for everyone listening. Obviously, as we, even after we give our heart to Christ and we, we walk in discipleship, sometimes we still make mistakes and you may found yourself making a mistake and engage in that kind of sin, but you're, there's not a free license prescription that you can go sin and it's okay. Like that's, you're going to have to repent. Father may still chastise you in some way. There may be still consequences, but um, that's the difference is he's trying to say, these are the old behaviors, practice the new ones. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's, I just feel like it, it came out weird is what I was trying to say. Uh, my point was to answer the actual question that no, those actions aren't literally the same as doing the actual act of idol worship, standing in front of a statue, sacrificing to it, all that stuff that's involved in the actual physical worship of an idol. But what Paul is trying to say is he's figuratively, um, drawing the two together by saying, I mean, you might as well be an idol worshiper if you are living that kind of life where you're, you're walking around with anger, malice slander, greed, all those things that he listed. So he's not saying that it's a one-to-one -one comparison. It's the exact definition of idolatry. Um, but he's comparing that and basically like how a lot of us say all sins are the same, essentially. You know, if you're walking in willful sin, uh, you're no better than an idolater. So. Um. <clears throat> this every every week you see that question yeah yeah Ben john's asking also the difference between soul and spirit would be great thanks um soul is what is your collection of your experiences your mind your heart your emotions your personality the things that you will be judged on <laughs> that's that is what goes to sheol at the bodily death the spirit is what is animating you and that's what goes back to the father uh, who gave it, as Ecclesiastes 9 says. So that's why there's a distinction. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Some older manuscripts interchangeably use the word spirit and soul, and it confuses people. So sometimes you'll see that, like in in KJV version of uh, the book of Isaiah, it'll talk about the spirits of God will rise from the earth in Isaiah 26, 19. Um, your dead will live, your spirits will rise um, again. And But it clearly, like the in order for the resurrection to happen and that soul to have a new glorified body again, the spirit of God has to be given back to it to animate it again. So like, you know, it's understanding the process of Genesis two, seven, where it says that out of the dirt, God breathed the breath of life. That's his spirit into the man. And he became a living soul. So at that point, the man then had something tangible that started collecting a personality experiences by which he'd be judged as well as, his will, his emotions, all those things started to be formed in the soul of that man. And that's the soul is what goes to Sheol to await resurrection to a new body. And that's uh, hopefully a decent explanation for the difference between a soul and, a, and the spirit that animates a body with a soul in it. What in the world? 
I think they maybe forgot they have their caps locks, caps lock on. Yeah, I think so. I know he's been trying to get that question answered. So Royce Bell, thank you for the super chat, brother. You're asking in Revelation 12, a third of the stars swept. Are they believers deceived or killed or are they not believers? Uh, also, Moses was. OK, so let's start the first question real quick. In Revelation 12, a third of the stars swept. Are they believers deceived or killed um, or are they not believers? Um, I I would personally think they would be not believers. That um, they're actual stars. Yeah, uh, aren't they? I mean, in Revelation twelve, no, no, in that particular passage, I don't think they're actual stars. Okay. Um, it's it's talking about the the dragon who deceives the whole world um, in later parts of that chapter and how he goes and fights and everything. And in this particular part of Revelation twelve, the front part is it's leading into the the man child that's born from the woman, okay. um, and the dragon tries to take her out and everything. So I don't. It, highly debated Revelation 12. I don't think it's talking about um, literal physical stars that, because he didn't sweep a third amount of the sky. There's no record of that anywhere in the Old Testament. There's no record of that even in Enoch, which explains the stars that did transgress in chapter 21 and were put in a separate holding place. Um, so this is that was not just a third of them. It was only seven, a distinctive number of seven. So to me, this is more of a, um, a metaphor for his power over um, things, if you will, for the unclean spirits in the sublunary world. So I don't think it's referring to believers. The second question, are they not believers? No. The third question, also Moses saw God's back. That means God isn't all big like mainstream media portrays him. So God, Moses also saw God's back. That means God isn't all big like mainstream media. Portray. Okay, so I'll get to what you're saying. So basically you're asking how big is God that you could have watched the debate last night. And that's why you're asking this. Cause that was what the guy asked is like, how yeah, tall is he God? Started mocking you yeah. for it. Well, because Mormons teach that God is a specific size and all that stuff. And, um, and that's what he's trying to do is he's trying to pin me into Mormon theology yeah. and stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know how big God is. It doesn't say that's what I said uh, last night. It, the scriptures doesn't say, I don't know how big his back was. I don't know how tall he is. Um, I would just imagine he could be any size he wants to, honestly. But ultimately, um, it would make perfect sense if he portrayed himself in, in our our general size so as to not seem um, fearful, unnecessarily fearful, if I should put it like that. Um, to me, this is why the giants are considered abnormal, is because they're abnormally large. It's not like a that, that it seems like that's not a thing the father intended. Um, which is the, why there's so much emphasis on their size versus, you know, Yahweh just saying he made us in his image. And so, yeah, hopefully that's a decent answer for you. And I hope I understood your questions properly. I'm running out of voice as every Saturday. I did a debate last night for two and a half hours, didn't run out of voice. But every Saturday, I'm, my, my voice is closing up. Um, I don't know what's going on. Um Time to see if you go to the YouTube search bar and click in Kingdom of Context, uh, Should We Stone Our Children? I think that's the title of the video. We've done a teaching on this. We go through the scriptures with you, and, and hopefully that's helped for you to see that it's not talking about little children. It's talking about grown children who are under specific qualifiers yeah. uh, for they're either not contributing to society and, and trying to live lawlessly, or they're also drunks. And these are talking about grown children, not, not small children. Yeah. So. Go, go check out that video we did. Should we stone our children? Explain this whole book, Sean. 
Explain it. Joseph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, more Joseph, specific, brother. Bro, you got to ask a question. <laughs> you can't just be like, explain the Bible to me. Explain yeah. explain a whole book, like thousands of words in a book, whole chap- yeah. 13 chapters. Um, but, I mean, if you want a one-liner, that's a synopsis of the book of Hebrews. Explain the, the, the priesthood of Christ. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would encourage so I, you. Go ahead. Uh, if you want to understand Hebrews, go read Leviticus and Numbers. Yeah, that's that what will I was explain say. Hebrews. <laughs> yeah, if you want to understand Hebrews. And if you weren't saying it with that tone, I'm not trying to mock you. That's we get that from a lot of people who hear us say one particular thing, it triggers them and they say, Well, explain this book then. Explain Galatians mainly. <laughs> so maybe you didn't mean it that way, but you know, that's how we would assume it is <laughs> based on how other people have thrown those kind of uh, questions at us. <clears throat> right, I'm just going to take a few more. My voice is running out here. Don't understand that one. I guess it's been a while since we've addressed this question. Yeah. Um, Caleb's asking, Sean, who's the mysterious character Melchizedek or Melchizedek, however you want to say it? Um, it's just a priest, bro. It's going to be one of the descendants of Shem, who's righteous, who under you know Noah and Shem learned the law of God and was a- accurately teaching it. it. The word itself means a uh, uh, ruler of righteousness. Um, he was uh, the king of over the the establishment of Salem in Genesis 14. But he's also just the the Melchizedek order is an order of priesthood based off of uh, right behavior, which is what all priests are supposed to have. The only difference is the Levitical caveat, the Levitical difference uh, that was a priesthood given to the descendants of Levi based on genealogy. But the requirement for them to know and practice the law of God faithfully was also part of the expectation for the Levites as well. So this is why they're called orders, right? The order of Melchizedek, the order of Levi. It was the Melchizedek was the priesthood passed down from Adam until it got to Levi. It was, it was based upon men who were faithfully exemplifying a heart and an obedience to God's commandments. They're chosen to be ministers of the priesthood because they have a heart for it and they're willing to teach others. This is why Noah is considered a righteous man. He's also considered a priest. That's why he's doing sacrifices when he gets off the boat. Um, this He was in the Melchizedek priesthood. So even though Genesis, by the time we get to Genesis 14 and Abraham, it's just going to be someone in the, lines, in the line of Noah that's, that fits the qualification. That's a righteous man. Um, this is why Noah or Abraham would tithe to that guy. Because you get numbers 18, the first fruits go to the priests. <laughs> so it's the same law of God being employed. The only difference between the Levites and the Melchizedeks is the Levites, once it got down to Levi, there's a special agreement that Father said with Levi, I will honor you and your descendants to eat at my table as the priesthood forever on earth amongst mankind. So this is why it now became the order of Levi. They're still doing the law of God. They're still all the same instructions, the same ideas. It's just now you're not picking anyone that's just the best candidate. Now it had to specifically come through the genealogy of Levi. And so this is where it was tasked, that tribe was tasked to train their men up in righteousness and keep the law of God and be set apart from the rest of the tribes. They weren't always faithful with that throughout the years, unfortunately. So this is why Yeshua can be a minister in the order of Melchizedek, but not Levi, as Hebrews tries to explain in Hebrews 7, um, because he fit the qualifier for the Melchizedek qualifier, which is someone who has the heart and the obedience to keep the commandments of God and does it faithfully ab- above his other brethren. 
And so this is why he's given a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek and not the order of Levi. So hopefully that's a, um, a decent answer for you. It's also why when the kingdom comes, Jesus, who's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, is going to all take all the resurrected saints and put us into the order of Melchizedek under him. But then the earthly men who did not get resurrected that he shows um, mercy to and spares, there he's going to take from them Levites and make them a part of the earthly uh, priesthood of Levites on the earth. And this is what Isaiah 66, 17 to 21 tells us. So that's why you're, and you also see it in Ezekiel, but that's why you see two priesthoods operating at the same time. This is not uncommon. Two priesthoods were operating at the same time in the days of Abraham, in the days of Levi. Job was a priest over in, uh, as an Edomite to his own people. Um, what's his name? Um, Jethro was a priest of Midian. But yet he goes to Moses and Aaron, who's about to be made an, an, a, a Levite priest. So, like, it's okay that there's multiple priesthoods operating at the same time. A priesthood is just someone who's a servant of, of the Lord and, and is willing to, to teach and, and relay the law of God accurately uh, to other people. So, you know, it's not this. The, the reason, I don't think you're asking this, Caleb, but I've heard a lot of people say you can't have more than one priesthood. This is what Judaism tries to say because they reject the Melchizedek, right? Yeah. Um, they want to reject Christ. And so they'll say you can't have more than one priesthood. It's only Jesus wasn't qualified to be a Levite priest. And I'm like, you're ignoring the scriptures. There was always more than one priesthood. It just means there's someone that's willing to do the righteousness of God. The only reason they make that argument is out of their own prejudicial bias. So because you have to study Judaism. Yeah, I would say that character becomes less mysterious if you read Jubilees and the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And you start to recognize this priesthood being passed down through the patriarchs. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. I, I that's all I can do for today. Um, hopefully, these were beneficial to you. Did you see another one you want to get to? That no, was... you scroll so fast, I can't even read them. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm <laughs> reading. Fine. I'm sorry. Um, it's fine. I if just, you're out I'm of steam, it's okay. We're almost two hours, so. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much, Ron Boston Bear. I appreciate the super chat. It says I just finished yesterday's debate. Enjoyed all the truth and proper understanding you brought to the table. You know, Lindsay, your blessing. My wife and I are praying over your little one. Thank you, brother. I really thank appreciate you. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just ask for prayer because I'm trying to stay out of, um, worry mode. I'm 20 weeks today and I haven't, I thought I was feeling him move a few weeks ago after I got past the 16 week mark, but I think that was actually just some of other, my insides growing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I haven't been feeling him kick and I've, I'm everything I read says I should be feeling him kick by now. So I've been asking God every morning if you guys would add, if you're praying for our pregnancy, what I'm asking for lately is, you know, let me feel him kick, let him start moving. I want to uh, have the reassurance that he's in there and he's okay and he's active. So um, that would be my prayer request. If anyone's wondering, I'm trying not to overthink it or get panicked about it because I know that can also affect him. So just yeah kick little guy just let, let us know in the, for any of the ladies that have had babies uh in the live chat let us know did you ever have any babies that were not very active um yeah. no no problems no complications they just weren't very active they didn't kick a lot so let us know we'll give it a few minutes let if anyone know. wants to answer eva is saying that it's normal so i need to hear that because everything that i'm seeing is oh you should be feeling okay so eva, right eva's <laughs> saying love you guys Lindsay. it's okay to not feel yet okay. that is normal okay, okay. <laughs> 
I guess I guess you that's your experience, Eva. You've you've had children. Yeah, you have she has children, right? I don't know. I I, I feel like we've seen her on so. Facebook. Yeah. She has children. Becky's saying I felt it after 20 weeks. So. After 20 weeks? Yeah. Okay. Um I'm well 20 weeks, so I'm five months today. So I know it can just be flutters, but I haven't felt I mean, I thought I felt a flutter like last Sabbath. Was, but I wasn't sure if it was a gas bubble. <laughs> she said, Oops, says my second one wasn't a kicker. My third one kicked a bunch. Okay. And then Emma said, Yes, my last one, it's scary, but it is normal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. I need to hear that because, like I said, all the so general sorry. information out there is like, Oh, you should have been, been feeling him kick by now. I'm like, What? <laughs> so there's a lot of clickbait out there. Uh, yeah, well, and I know that um, every pregnancy is different. Every baby is different. So just Googling things or on my little tracking app, you know, it's telling me what I should be experiencing by now. It's uh, Morgan saying it was about five months for her. Okay. Uh, the rest was gas. See, I, that was my midwife was telling me, you know, you might confuse it with a gas bubble. I felt something last week. I'm pretty sure. If that's like the I case, said, I've felt babies kicking often. <laughs> it's just gas bubbles. <laughs> thank you guys i really appreciate the encouragement <laughs> we really appreciate everybody we hope you're having a great shabbat enjoying the rest or if it's already over for you depending on where you're on this on this flat earth on this wonderful firmament enclosed plane that we are created to live in respect and love our creator who's going to come down with his house to live on this wonderful earth with us in the future we are excited that you want to join us for these sabbath fellowships and uh we just give uh all praise to the most high and his wonderful son or messiah we will see you guys next week. Yeah. See you later. Shabbat shalom, guys. Have a good week. Love you. Thank you.